Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where we never shy away from a reading challenge. I'm Tara. I'm Susan. I'm Jeanette. How are you guys? It's been a month. (laughs) It's been a week, shall we say. (laughs) Um, Well, aside from work, I got sick, as you can still hear. So that's always lovely. Um, But luckily, I'm on the mend. Unfortunately, my family is now sick. Oh, Oh, yeah. Especially when you have a little kid. Yeah. Just just passes from one person to the next person to the next. Yeah, person. unfortunately this one was my fault. So <laughs> I can't you infected blame her. everybody. <laughs> Getting sick is never a person's fault, Susan. Unless like you literally like break open vials of Ebola and roll around in it or something, you can't literally be at fault for that. Sure you can. I, you bring the virus home and you're all wallowing in the same filthy air. <laughs> I mean, sure, what are you supposed to do? Rent a hotel room for the week? Be like, all right guys, no. bye. Later. You don't need me. You obviously no, don't need you me. don't know like <laughs> when it happens, but it's it's my fault. <laughs> what about you, Nat? Um, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm taking three uh, grad school classes right now, and it has left me with no time to read and all of my free time basically doing homework, which is cool on the one hand because my new favorite uh, study music is the bits and pieces playlist from our other sunrise robot show oh Oh my gosh it's so good and it's so helpful when i'm like sitting there studying however i'm like so overwhelmed and so tired and all i'm reading is special ed books which are you know very interesting to me but it's not great for like making recommendations to other people right yeah how about you you, tara Uh good i'm good for the most part exhausted today so um apologies for that if i start to droop but otherwise you know actually doing all right just got back from england which was awesome for work um went through a huge reading binge which was great which is stopping now because i'm also starting a new class in viticulture and enology which is all chemistry based and it's going to basically kill me. I've decided on top of all of that, <laughs> I'm going to do NaNoWriMo next month. So I've started to plot out a novel, which just because I have no more time. So <laughs> that's basically, that's basically everything. <laughs> we're, just, we're just all busy, busy, busy. <laughs> it's just right? one of those months, you it, know? It has been, most definitely. Yeah. Well, you want to give busy people more work because for some reason we like to punish ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fun. Always, always looking for something, right? <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's made me kind of like bummed out because um, one thing that I did want to mention is like the um, big library read, which is like this online book program. Where you can download free i free um e- ebooks and like read along with like people across the country or whatever uh, with your library, you oh, can I do that. that. And mm-hmm. it yeah, and the book it the big library read. I don't know why I keep calling it the big book read, but the big library read. It's going on like right now, and the book is available until like October twentieth or twenty first or book? something like that. Um, there's two of them this time. Yeah, you I can don't remember the titles. The other, right? Yeah, but they both looked kind of interesting. So, um, 
yeah, I wanted to do that this the next time it rolled around, and it's here, and I don't have time. Aww. So I'll make sure but, to include the link in the show notes. Yeah, anybody else who wants to do it, any other readers? Because we don't know any other busy readers, but <laughs> of course not. Jeanette, <laughs> they're did all you busy. Pr- <laughs> did you participate in that DC reading competition that I saw? I did not. Um, it's limited to people who actually live in DC. Oh, from what I understand, you live in Nova. Yeah. Yeah, and I live just outside, so. Well, this reading competition, for those who don't know, is really cool. It was, like, the top 25 readers in D.C. got to go to this swanky band book VIP outing. And we knew three of the top 25 readers from that list. Yeah, I knew people who went. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to them about how it was, though. But I'm sure it was, uh, sorry, I'm sure it was awesome. So what um, are you reading? What are we reading right now? Yeah. Well, I am currently reading a book called Blood Red Road by Moira Young. Um, it's really interesting because it's a it's a YA book, um, but it's it's written in like it's one of those YA dystopian everything's ended kind of books, but it's written in like this really weird dialect. I shouldn't say weird because it's kind of like old west kind of dialect which was really 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 distracting when i first started reading it and i was like i'm gonna hate this book but the plot of the book is really really good and once you get past that dialect it's great um there's this girl and her brother her twin brother is kidnapped so she and her sister set out to go rescue him and she uh ends up getting captured and sold as a cage fighter oh my god what yeah right didn't see that coming um so she gets captured and sold as a cage fighter and right now i've just kind of reached this point in the book where she's escaping from this cage fighting world and she's hooking up with another group who i'm i'm hope sticks around because they're a group of like freedom fighting girls and i think they sound pretty cool so Hmm. interesting so, what are you guys reading? Um, well, I'm reading Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Love! <laughs> I know, Such I know you loved book. it. Um, I am a third of the way through. Um, you know, with work and being sick and all, I did not do much reading this week. Um, but it's really good so far. So, I'm excited to get to the rest of the book. I'm like, I, I just need, like, a couple hours. <laughs> um, You're going to so enjoy it. That's one of those mm-hmm. books that, as I was reading it, I found myself smiling. And I didn't realize I was smiling. And I did that through, like, the second half of the book or something. Yeah, I was yeah. already feeling, like, a bunch of nostalgia when she started college. Like, she was getting into her first week of classes. I was like, oh, my gosh, the awkwardness. I totally remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really good. I love her writing. Um, Rainbow Rowell, and I love how she's like putting in, you know, fan fiction culture, things like that. Um, so I'm, I I'm like really how she it. thanks fan fiction writers. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've read a ton of this, so thank you. <laughs> it makes me want to be like, did you write any though? You wrote something, right? I'm sure she did. <laughs> I just want to know what fandom. I mean, and obviously yeah. it was Slash. I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Has she ever answered that interview? Because I just desperately want to know. I don't know. know, but anyways, that's what I'm reading now, and it's super good, so I can't wait to finish it. Well, how about you, Tara? What you reading? So technically, I'm reading our next book club book, which I know we'll go over later. But like I said, I just got finished with a huge reading binge, um, of which Fangirl was one of, because I'd started it but stopped and I, when I moved to Florida and then never picked it back up. So I reread it completely all the way through. Um, and awesome. So good. Um, and then I finished Fangirl and immediately the next day, Carry On came out. <laughs> so if you don't know, um, the main <laughs> character, Kat, in Fangirl is writing a fic um, called Carry On. And Rainbow, Ram- Rainbow Rowell loved Simon and Baz in this fictional world of Simon Snow that she created for Fangirl, for Kat to write about, that she decided that she was going to write the last book of the series, how she would write it. So it's not, it's not, car- it's not Magic Cast, or it's not Cast's Carry On, and it isn't Gemma, who is the fictional writer of the Simon Snow series in Fangirl. It's not her um, final eighth book. It's if Rainbow was going to write the final eighth book. And it's so good. It's so It was everything I wanted it to be. I read it in like less than 36 hours. It was so good. <laughs> <I> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it. that one. Oh, my God. I loved it so much. Baz yeah. is so great. Everyone's so great. All the characters are wonderful. Um, like so much more fleshed out and like know themselves and and it, there, there's some like really like a lot of things are fairly obvious especially if you've read Fangirl because they drop a lot of plot points for the series but the journey is so cool and, and it's it, it's quite interesting so I really liked it so go read it <laughs> yeah she writes such great characters like they're just so whole they're such people mm-hmm I'm so jealous of her style too because it's so it's so seemingly easy which you know means like it was terribly hard to write <laughs> right you know it seems so easy and effortless and you just you don't even notice like there's not a lot of awkwardness in her writing and it's you know that's so difficult to do <laughs> yeah and especially because she has so many genres. Like, she has mm-hmm. written, you know, realistic YA books. She's written, you know, kind of, I don't want to say fantasy, but it's almost like magical realism for adults. Like, she's written a lot of different things. And they all have, like, those true-to-life characters. And it's just well-written and so interesting. Completely agree. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to reading that one. It is on my list. Yay! So, the other thing that I want to talk about today, besides what we're reading, is that it is actually Hispanic Heritage Month until October 15th. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that we have talked about how we don't um, necessarily always think about, you know, the background of the authors that we're reading, like we read everything from everywhere. And we hadn't read a whole lot of Hispanic authors until we started this book club. And then we started kind of throwing them at each other. So I wanted to know which ones were your favorite Hispanic books or books by Hispanic authors and why? 
Uh, well, um, I haven't read a lot in the Hispanic author category, but from the ones that I did, I loved Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. Um, so good. It's a it's, book club book, by the way. Yeah, it's yes. a wonderful book. Read it a while ago now. Um, but it's, you know, about, um, Daniel, whose dad is a bookstore owner, and he finds this book by uh, Julian Carax and finds out that all, all of Carax's books are being destroyed, and he's on a mission to find out why. And the story just really unfolds so well. Um, it was just really, really good. I loved it. It was so good. I remember that. that I wanted to pick that one for my favorite, too. But... Um, it just it's so great because it's kind of a mystery, but it's mm-hmm. also just very beautifully written. Yeah, it's not like a, a standard mystery though, you know, like a yeah. whodunit type of thing. So it was just like you like um every time he finds something out, it's just like something is being revealed, not just like aha, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's not like he's getting out his uh little magnifying glass mm-hmm. and looking for clues. It's just, oh, wait. That happened too. Right. That fits in my puzzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. I want to read it again. And there's a sequel, I believe, which I have not what? read. How have I not yeah. heard of this? I think, I I think back when we read it, I mentioned it, but I uh, kind of forgot and let it slip off my radar. So I'll okay. find it and I will share it with people. Yes, please. So maybe we can put both of them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I was going to say, since Susan took my pick, um, I was going to say... good taste. I know. Great minds. <laughs> um, so I was going to say that another book club pick that um, we read was Esmeralda Santiago's memoir. I believe the one we read for book club was Almost a Woman, which is my personal favorite yes. of the three. But um, she's written three of them, and they talk about her journey... From living as a small girl in um, Puerto Rico to moving to New York and kind of adapting to American culture after living in Puerto Rico and having this Puerto Rican culture. And it's kind of about being a child of two worlds. Like you grow up in one culture, but you have this background that has different beliefs and different, you know, traditions, and she has to kind of navigate how to balance the two, what she likes from the one culture, but what's important from the other. And it's something that I really relate to as somebody who grew up Hispanic in a school and neighborhood that was primarily full of, like, Irish people, um, which was great. Because, you know, I'm the only Hispanic girl who's like, yeah, I'm Irish on St. Patrick's Day and stuff like that, which um, <laughs> was great Also as good a partiers. Kid. Hello. Yeah. No, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, nobody thought I was crazy for being like, I want to do both kinds of things. Like, I want to be part of this culture and that culture. Um, so I really related to what Esmeralda Santiago was talking about in these memoirs. They do get kind of weird like in her third memoir I don't want to say weird but she takes like some roads that I wouldn't have expected her to take and I'm really hoping that she puts out another one so we find out what happens because the third memoir is about 
her in this really abusive relationship, Mm. uh, which Mm. is sad, but she comes out of it at the end, I think, a stronger person. And I would love to know what she did with that newfound information about herself. But I met her a couple years ago at the National Book Festival and got my book signed. And I, oh yeah, and I literally had all these things that I was planning on saying to her. And I was just so excited because of how much I related to her books that I nearly tripped over my own tongue just trying to say hello. So Aww. one day I'll just have to write her a letter. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen to me, but it happened to me that day. <laughs> what about you, Tara? What is your favorite book by a Hispanic I author? Feel, I feel like this is such a cop-out because I feel like most people have read it, but actually I found out neither of you have read it, but that's okay. Um, but Rodolfo Anan- Anaya's uh, classic, Bless Me, Bless Me Ultima, is my favorite Um it tells the story of it's actually it's a coming of age story and it's somewhat autobiographical. Auto biographical. I, I I can say words. I swear I was an English major. Um, uh, it, it's somewhat autobiographical. Darn it! Whatever that word. Um, and with the exception with the exception of an added character named Ultima, who in the book is sort of this uh, spiritual figure that guides, mentors, and protects uh, the protagonist. And it takes place in, like, the 1940s in New Mexico, and it has, like, just so much going on in it. it it's really amazing. It, it goes over the Chicano culture. It goes over the influence on indigenous cultures from um, for people who move in and how, how they affect the indigenous cultures. It goes over mysticism. It's really a beautiful story. Um, and it's got some rough parts, which is why it's been one of the most consistently challenged books in America. You know, So if you have a banned book challenge, this is definitely on that list. Um, but it's really, it's really a fantastic book, and you guys should, should read it. Oh, yeah, you told me about it last month, and I definitely put it on my to-read list because I had honestly not even heard of it, but, you know, I had not read a lot, strangely enough, I had not read a lot of Hispanic authors until I was actually an adult. In fact, I think one of the first ones I read was for my freshman year in college um, when everybody had to read The Alchemist. So, oh my god, no one picked The Alchemist here? I totally I, forgot about The Alchemist. I love The Alchemist. I thought <laughs> it's about a great picking book. it. It's great. I, everyone that's has read Paolo, it, though. Yeah, that's by Paulo Coelho. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we had to read it for freshman year. I think that's one of the first um, That's one of the first books by a Hispanic author I ever read. Really? So, yeah, I'd never even heard of Bless Me Ultima. So I'm I mean, excited about that one. No, I mean, I'm going to throw the, Don Quixote. Never? Never read nope, that. that was not required reading for me. Same. I know it's required reading for a lot of people, but it wasn't yeah, required reading here. at any of my schools. So, which is kind of disappointing because I've always wanted to read it. So that is also on my list. There's a lot of Hispanic <laughs> books on my list. Um, speaking of lists, yeah. So speaking of lists, I wanted to do a little bit of googling for this because. Of course, I haven't read enough Hispanic authors, and I don't think any of us have. So I wanted to give some recommendations. And what I found was a list that said 50 great Hispanic authors, or sorry, 50 great Hispanic novels that every student should read. And I know it says student, but I think 
a lot of this list would be enjoyable to most people. Almost yeah. everything we've named is on there. Plus, um, The House of the Spirits was is a book that we read mm. recently, which yep. was Love that great. Book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some other things. Oh, look, there. Don Quixote is number one. It is. <laughs> it is. So this list is on onlinecollegecourses.com, but we're going to put it in the show notes because it has yes. a lot of great picks on it. And just reading through it, I was like, I want to read that one. I want to read that one. Um, the House of Mango Street, which we talked about Last a few month, months ago, I think. Uh, like Water for Chocolate, which is a great one, especially yeah. if you're into magical realism, which is another topic we're talking about today. <laughs> um, so there's others, though, that I was like, I have to read that. So I'm going through, going to go through that and add more to my Goodreads. And I <laughs> think everybody else should, too. Just saying, let's be diverse people. And Hispanic Heritage Month actually ends the day this podcast episode comes out. So you have one day to go out and find <laughs> and read yourself, one book. <laughs> find yourself a book by a Hispanic author and put it on your list. So there you go. Challenge for you, listeners. <laughs> Challenge? I'm not sure I'll accept. <laughs> well, you can at least add it to your list. Yes, I will. I'll give you a break. Books. You have a baby. Well, I have one she's and a, a half babies. A <laughs> she is a toddler now. I do. She is an official toddler. It makes me a little sad. Oh, but she's such a cute toddler. It's okay. You'll have a new baby soon. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we bring that up, you sound so miserable about it. It's just so much work. For our I, listeners, I Emily made it. an appearance this month at book club, and she is the most precious thing. Oh my gosh, yes, she, <laughs> she is. Really is. Um, so, so, anyways, you should 100 be years about of solitude? having another precious little girl. Yeah, well, <laughs> like I said, I know it's going to be a ton of work, so I'm not looking forward to that. I am looking forward to another little baby to cuddle. So, Aww. anyways, babies aside, I'm so excited <laughs> for you right now. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Almost there. <laughs> um, let's talk about the main book that we read for this month, um, following our trend for Hispanic Heritage Month. Woo-hoo, which Not really, even intentionally. Yeah, it worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, that was totally like, oh, let's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, let's do it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh-huh. <laughs> we totally knew this and planned this. Oh, yeah, because we're that smart. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, we read 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And for a short summary, um, we focus on the Buendia family in Macondo for several generations, starting with Jose Arcadio and Ursula. Uh, once they helped found the town of Macondo, we follow the lives of the Buendia family members through the years, from the eccentric dealings of the first Jose Arcadio to Remedios the Beauty to the last Aureliano born of incest. No one in the family is safe from the world, their family, or themselves. So... With that in mind, what was <laughs> one thing that stood out to you for this book? <laughs> I think for me, what stood out the most was just the beautiful writing. Because I didn't think that I was going to like the book when I first started it. And then I just kept letting like the writing kind of flow. It's very evenly paced. And it's just fantastic. And I just kept letting it flow and... I suddenly found myself actually interested in, like, this crazy world of Macondo. And it was just a great experience for me, like, just to experience that writing. 
I've said it a couple of times. This is either the best or worst version of magical realism I've ever seen. Um, being that it is so realistic that nine, at least 90% of the time when something that is obviously if someone had said, yeah, they tied someone to a chestnut tree for 50 years and he just lived there like that. That's obviously not plausible. <laughs> um, but like reading it, it felt normal. She did a really good job. Um, or he did, sorry. He did a really good job. Um, incorporating those elements in a way that just felt really seamless. Um, unless it was like knock you on your head obvious, I didn't really think of it as abnormal or mystical in any way. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I thought that was pretty, that was pretty cool looking back on it. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Like, I th- found the magical realism was so very real. And to me, that's a sign of good magical realism because magical realism is supposed to make the magic be real. It's supposed to be part of the world. And I think that made it just, I think that was also just really well done. Yeah, I agree with the both of you, actually. Those are the two points that I wanted to talk about of what stood out for me in this book. Um, So thanks for reading my mind, guys. Um, Great (laughs) minds again. (laughs) Um, Also in sync today. Yeah. Um, so why don't we dive right into it then, since this book is like one of the main things is, is magical realism. Um, I won't go into like super heavy detail, um, since we're not doing a study, but, (laughs) um, magical realism is basically an acceptance of magic in the rational world. Um, obviously this book, you know, follows a family for a hundred years and a lot has happened (laughs) within that time in this tiny little town. Um, and then you mentioned Tara, how real the magic was because it just felt like it belonged. Um, what like, is there like, besides the him being tied to a tree for 50 years, <laughs> <laughs> what other things, um, stood out to you as being like great magical realism? Cause I'm thinking like in the beginning of the book, um, you know how the gypsies come to town. Yeah. And um, they're talking, his, uh, Hosea Cardio takes his kids and looks at the ice and they're like, oh, what is this? Obviously, that's not magic. Right. You know, right. but he that's makes real. it look, um, seem like magic to his kids. But then there's also real magic that they don't really notice because they take it for granted. Um, the two ones that really stick out for me are the blood that flows back to the... Um, back to the house um, back to the Wendia house um, that was really obvious mm. like because it takes right. th- it takes this really amazing path from one place to another and like, like you know goes through the bushes upstairs this there <laughs> to land and it's, just, it's a very cool image um, of a death but a cool image um, and then the second one would be the, the train the ghost train or the train of, you know, uh, dead people with the bananas, uh, from the banana massacre. Oh, right. It took me a second. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, see, I was right there with you. I was like, Oh, the ghost train. <laughs> Even though it's not technically, I guess. Well, later it becomes a ghost train. It does. Get the first mm-hmm. instance. But yeah. yeah. It like, like ghosts are definitely part of what happens in that situation. Um, but it's done in a way where, like, I wasn't sure at first. <laughs> I was like, is this happening? I don't know. Well, that's the um, good sign, you know, of the magical yeah. realism. 
Yeah. Because you're like, I, is this actually possible? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, technically a ghost train would be possible if maybe somebody were having hallucinations. But the thing about it is the person who sees the ghost train actually shows it to a couple of other people. So I don't think it's hallucination in that case you know in a lot of ways this is random this is random comment but in a lot of ways (laughs) i feel like this book reminds me of genesis and uh like the bible's genesis because like it just seems like the weird band or whatever no no um it just seems to sort of happen things happen people come people live for unusual long amounts of time weird stuff occurs and no one really thinks anything's weird about it (laughs) like um it sort of has this weird flow to it. Yeah, yeah. it does have like a very, um, yeah, a flow to it, I guess is the best word. I was trying to think of another word, but I'm just going to use yours. Um, it does have a great flow to it. And I think that, um, I think that relates to something that Erin brought up where she was like, this is just about like people telling stories um, because that's kind of what Genesis is. It's like a, like long tale of stories, basically. Right. Yeah. And that's what this, um, that's what this book is to me. It's just a bunch of stories, one on top of the other. And they're layered in a way that's really difficult to follow sometimes, but. Especially yeah. when all the characters are named the exact same. <laughs> I get what you were doing there, Author person but i see what you did did (laughs) but it was very confusing for us yeah see actually find it that confusing which is weird but but i I guess it's because like he uses the same name over and over again but he uses different variations of it and to me like that made perfect sense and i don't know if that's because like in my family i should mention like my brother's name is a traditional name Um, And there's, like, seven people with the same name or something like that. And I have only met maybe three of them, four of them. But all of them, we call them by something different. So, to me, that made perfect sense. Like, everybody's got the same name, so you tweak it and it's fine. I really think this was made more difficult for me because I did listen to this one via audiobook. I was just going to say that. And not having, like, I know the physical copy has, like, a family tree in it. Where you can sort yes. of, like, if you're confused, you can sort of flip back and go, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, no, it's this one. We're talking about this one right now. And the audiobook doesn't have that. Yeah, no, I had that same problem. Like, I had a really hard time keeping track of the characters. Um, I probably would have had a little hard time reading, but listening was definitely hard. Yeah. So, um, well, when we talk about the style of the book... And how it's written, you know, how it's beautifully written. Um, It's written in a way that feels dreamlike. Um, Did you enjoy that reading experience or did it hinder you from enjoying the book? I personally found it enjoyable. It, to me, made it easier for me not to become so frustrated by things like the structure of the book. Because the structure um, is laid out in a way that the author is talking about one set of characters. So he might be talking about Ursula and Jose Arcadio, and he might be saying, and this was something that 
Aureliano thought about when he was facing death 30 years later. And then it drops that thread and you're like, wait, wait, Aureliano is facing death. And it goes back to him being a baby. And then <laughs> later in the chapter, it's like, and Aureliano grew up and now he was facing death. Um, so that is a really frustrating way to read a book, in my opinion. But the actual setting it up like a dream made me kind of accept those things. Like, you know, in the way in a dream where you're like, you know, Tara is flying. Why is Tara <laughs> flying? You know what? That's really not important right now because we're also about to be hit by the Hogwarts train. So we should really get on that. And you know that these things are not real and these things could never happen. But in a dream, you accept that you have yeah. to jump out of the way of the Hogwarts train and accept that Tara's flying later. And to me, that's how this worked out. I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is what's happening. And I could distance myself a little bit from it by saying, like, yeah, that is just the way it is. So I think, and I mentioned in my Goodreads review that I thought this was a dream-like sequence, too. Um, but I want to sort of retract on that a bit. I think it's more a dream-like trance. Because dreams have um, tone changes and pacing changes. You know, you can get scared and something can happen. And, and yeah, you're accepting weird things are occurring, but, like, the tone and pace change. This doesn't. It's almost trance-like. The pacing remains the same throughout the entire book, no matter what is happening. I mean, there's a war going on. There's a massacre. There's someone tied to a tree. There's goldfinches. It's all the same pace throughout the entire thing. So the dreamlike part, I kind of agree with uh, Jeanette that, that that didn't bother me as much, where like random things occurred. Um, I was fine with that. I got annoyed that people... Well, I mm, This is a problem I have with the book in general. I just think the characters are sort of shallow, most of them. And I think that um, they're literally... Like, a lot of the women are literally just put in a corner or sent away and that bothers me a lot um so that that annoyed me um but the pa the, the dream likeness about it where it just sort of jumps to thing to thing didn't inherently annoy me choices annoyed me um but the pacing the trance likeness of it how like there's no dips or crescendos that got to me because like while when i was interested in certain characters i was really into it but when like let's say for instance the war sections when the war sections were happening i was and, and like he has like a thousand mistresses and all the and my father is a bunch of, i just don't care <laughs> i like getting through that point and i'm just like god thank god i'm listening to this audiobook because if i had to read it i think i would lose my mind um yeah th th but that's that's just because there was no there were no valleys there were no mountains it just sort of the exact same pace which is impressive no, From I a writing point of view, that's an I, impressive thing to do, but it got to me. It got to me. No, I agree with you. I think there's just no ebb and flow. So it's yeah. like, I don't know how to feel about this situation because you're just kind of telling me <laughs> in one yeah. tone. Um, but the thing is, like, when certain things did happen, like, for example, let's take the Colonel Aureliano. Um, like, I think his story bothered me the most. Mm -hmm. because for maybe that reason like he went through so much and yet is still talking about like yeah he went to this war then he went to this war then he slept with this woman and had this woman this many kids and 
it's like, but wait a second, this is like huge. What's going on? I need, I know, I need was, you, you like, need just to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> so it got really frustrating for me. It's like I need to know more about this. What's happening? Like I'm not. You're like skimming over the surface of this man's life i know and i was like and, and he does all these horrible things and i'm like mm-hmm. am i supposed to feel anything for this person you haven't given me any reason to feel anything for this person but then i feel hate because i know he's a bad person but it's I like know. okay now i'm confused now I, I don't know what to do <laughs> So I do like how he was. The only thing I like about him was that he becomes very honest with himself. He's like, yeah, I, ju- I just did this out of pride. I don't actually care. I don't care yeah, about the cause. Wasn't there I don't care a, for anything else. Yeah, wasn't there a point where he's, where he's like, I can't fall in love? Like, yeah. I can't love. So that. And then he just goes on his merry way. Yeah. God. And then the what, what made me sad about that was when his mother realized it later and she was like, I've been making all these excuses for my son. And the truth is he just doesn't love anybody. He doesn't even love me. And I was like, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Well, Ursula is the best. Yeah. So. Ursula is the best. Agreed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the only sane character in an entire book. I wouldn't even say she's sane, but she's saner. saner. Yeah. I was going to say she has. Um the most common sense mm-hmm. oh yeah she runs that place yeah for, with the whole you know with the whole family like she has the most knowledge and wisdom <laughs> totally i mean no one notices she's blind for decades yeah the chick is blind for decades still running the place cooking doing everything no mm-hmm. one notices it's yeah. crazy and she even she like didn't really notice it because she had automatically just learn to compensate for Mm -hmm. the things that she couldn't see and then she's like oh wait i'm blind that's different (laughs) yeah she just adapts though you're so amazing like Um, she makes sure people sit in the same spot all the time she makes things are in the same spot all the time well i love how like Yeah, and I love how smart she is where even when she realizes people don't always sit in the same spot because, like, the sun changes position in the Mm, sky mm -hmm. in different seasons and whatever. And then she decides, oh, I'm going to adjust for that when I just assume where people are going to be. And, yeah, it's just, I was like, that's just so smart. And, I mean, it's kind of insane in its own right that you're hiding that you are losing your vision for a hundred years but it's so smart the way you choose to do that yeah um so i guess aside from ursula um like we mentioned before all the other names are the other ursula's named kids named ursula there is one named um something ursula ursula's amaranta Ursula. Yeah. Okay, but it's not a first end. name. No. no. Okay. Um, but all the other names are repeated frequently, um, which is only yeah. one kind of one thing that kind of repeats throughout the whole book. And what did you think of the cyclical nature of the book? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I think that kind of... It's frustrating at first, but I think it kind of helps with the whole characterization because, as Tara mentioned, as you get to the later generations, you get less and less characterization. But then you realize that these characters are cycling back on themselves. So they're really just different versions 
of an earlier Jose Arcadio or earlier Aureliano. And I thought that was especially interesting with the twins because they spent spent so much time trying to like confuse people as children that Ursula's like, yeah, they definitely grew up and kept the wrong names when when they grew apart. And I thought that was so funny because then you see kind of the exceptions to the rule that, wait a minute, not all Jose Arcadios end up the same way and not all Aurelianos end up the same way because these two defy the convention but by taking on the the convention of the other person's name. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, that's a fun way to play with the cycle while still maintaining it. I mean, you you could say that they instinctively knew they had the wrong names and just changed them. They might have. It might have been a choice. As the whole nature-nurture thing goes. (laughs) Um, For me... Again, I see what the author was trying to do there and and does it successfully, completely does it successfully. And I totally agree with everything Jeanette said. I just, generational <laughs> novels just are not my thing. Yeah. Like uh, these Same. sorts of cyclical <laughs> natures, like I, I find them predictive. Um, and especially in longer books, it gets more and more predictive and less and less interesting. If this book was maybe 150 page shorter, maybe I wouldn't have had as much maybe I wouldn't have gotten as bored with it, but it's a long book for a cyclical book. And I found, I found it, um, I found it drawing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've read other books that, you know, it had, does the cyclical thing in them as well. I, and I'm, I think I'm right there with you, Tara, with the way it was written. Um, I feel like it, because it, because the way he writes is very, dreamlike or trance-like in nature like there's only one tone nothing really changes there's no ebb and flow it's just kind of hard to get into it or and be invested of the family yeah you know he does that so well in the beginning with jose arcadio and ursula and their children Mm -hmm. but then as the book goes on you lose that yeah. And it's like, well, I, I kind of want to know what happened to these people specifically. Like, can you give me some dialogue here? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I cared nice. <laughs> so much about Rebecca and the original yeah. children. Mm-hmm. And, like, they literally shove Rebecca in a, ho- in a house and, like, she walled herself in. And then don't talk about her for, like, 250 pages. Until yeah. they're like, oh, wait, she's still alive? And I'm like, I hate all of you. Yeah, but then, like, they, they mentioned the room with the chamber pots how many times? Oh, my God. So many times. All the time. It's like, why is this so important? And then, like, all of a sudden, Rebecca's back. I don't understand. I know. Didn't you wall her in? Didn't you say that's where she was until she died? And now she's sort of, like, back? I'm, I'm, why do you do this? Yeah. Um, I don't think she ever came back back, though. She, she left the house, though, a couple times. She... Left the house to yell at people that she wasn't leaving her house, basically. I <laughs> no, because she was in there, and then one of um, one of her nephews or grandnephews wanted to buy the house from her, and yes, she was like, "Nope, right. I'm not selling my house. I'm going to live here until I die." And she went back inside. Yep. Yeah, and I think basically she lived there by herself for and a long like- time, which is probably honestly the safest thing she could have done is probably a sign of wisdom 
in the sense that, like, terrible things kept happening to all the other members of her family, and she just grew old. I mean, that's a horrible lesson, though. Hey, terrible things happen. Hide from the world. Lock yourself away. Don't interact with it at all. Well, I don't think that's supposed to be a lesson. I think it's just supposed to be a sign of her kind of being like, I'm not part of this insanity that you people are bringing down upon yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's not like she was truly loved. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so sad. Like, she was taken in, you know? She was taken in. They were nice enough to do that. But, I mean... I mean, they were nice enough to find her parents, to bury her parents' bones, too. And, you know, I, I think they went through a lot with her. I mean, Rebecca had a lot of issues coming into their household, and they really did everything they could to try to help her. Um, I actually feel like they probably very, I think Ursula very much loved Rebecca. Yeah, I would say they did love her. I would just also say she kind of made a choice, um, and she stuck to it. And I think everybody else was just too busy with their own concerns. I mean, that's one of the big themes of this book is that all these people are living together in this house, but they're all so obsessed with their own concerns, except for Ursula, whose concern is trying to keep the family together, keep the family running and looking out for her children and grandchildren and everything. But everybody else is like, I'm obsessed with this one thing. I'm obsessed with this thing I'm making with this person, with this idea I believe in. And they live these lives of solitude. I mean, where the book gets a title, um, they live these lives of solitude while being surrounded by their entire family. And I think that's why Rebecca receives Is that why you think it's called 100 Years of Solitude? Oh, yes. I thought, I thought, 100 Years of Solitude describes the town. I think it describes both. Yeah, Yeah. I think it describes a lot of things. Yeah, I think it, um, I think there's a whole war that happens and the whole banana thing happens and they all go over, like they even like cross the border into the US at one point. Um, So, I I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was the town. Yeah, I think it's both, (laughs) honestly, because the family basically is the town in a lot of ways. I mean, they're not the only people living there, but what happens to the town happens to the family, and what happens to the family happens to the town. Like, um, the town is kind of like its own character and own member of the family. Mm -hmm. And I think there's there's solitude within the town where the the town doesn't really connect with any of the world that's happening around it, except for brief instances. But all of that is the world being brought to the town. Yeah, the town never goes out. Like, yeah, it never the outside out. world comes in and then doesn't last. Yeah, and then I think that's also reflected within the individual members of the family. And Ursula even says that at one point. She's like looking around. I think it's towards the end of her life when she's kind of looking around and she's like, everybody here is so kind of obsessed with their own thing. Mm-hmm. Like they're all so lonely. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, this is the, these are the lives they've painted themselves into. They're so obsessed with their own interests or concerns. So yep. it's, it's, it was kind of a sad 
thing. But I think what's interesting is that the author does it with a lot of, like, humor in some places and a lot of absurdity Mm -hmm. and a lot of magic. So at the end, like, I don't feel sad, sad. I was just like, huh, that's kind of a bummer. But, like, it's it's not a downer. How you think the town is the Buendia family and the Buendia family is the town. But I think a lot happens based on Pilar. Pilar, right? Right. Yes, Pilar yeah. Fineira. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think, and she's not a member of the family. She practically is. She slept with half of them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is, Which is gross. true. <laughs> well, and also she mentions several times this is one of the repeating cycles. Uh, like every time she's about to sleep with another member of the family or about to interact with another fam- member of the family, she says, I know the Buendias better than they know themselves. Cause yeah, she knows she's... everything. She's like a member of the family. She's almost like an overseeing great grandmother kind of distant who has sex watching with... over. Yeah. Them. Well, I was going to say because she's, well, yes, the... And the sex. she's part of the family, but she's also the outsider who sees the whole picture. Yes, exactly. You know? So she, like, has a better handle of what's actually going on with that family than, like, even Ursula does. Right, because she knows the secrets that Ursula mm-hmm. doesn't even know. Right. Yep, so I feel like she's kind of the exception because of that. Yeah. How do we feel about the women in the book in general? Like, Pilar sort of has this sexual relationship with multi-generations. You know, Rebecca's left away. Ursula's sort of, you know... Sideline, they send daughters away to nunneries and to various places. Like they send boys away too, though. Yeah, not not the. It's not the same. It is exactly the, the same. They sent a girl away to a nunnery, and they sent a boy away to become a priest. <laughs> it's almost exactly we, the same. But we see the boy again. He comes back. the The girl gets sent away to a nunnery, and we literally never hear about that character again. Doesn't she, she like, chooses- make the choice? Yeah, she chooses yeah. not to come back, and she chooses never to speak to any of them again because her mother had her lover killed. Um, but yeah, I mean, the book really is not about the women, which yeah. is kind of um, unfortunate because I think the women, in some ways, were more interesting characters because they don't cycle, they don't follow mm-hmm. the cycle. But of course, that being said, they don't follow the cycle, so that's why the book's not about them. <laughs> but... You know, they're really, really interesting. The only one, the only one of the women that I really didn't care for was um, Fernanda. Yeah. yeah. That's just because she was ridiculous trying to, like, set everything up. Like, so everybody's so high class and so fancy. When I'm like, wait a minute, these guys are already the most important family in town. Like, (laughs) why are you trying to change their lives? Mm. And then everybody just ended up miserable and more solitary because of it. Because she's like, we're not going to have parties, and we're going to keep the house shut up, and nobody's allowed to come over anymore. Which nobody listened to anyways, but it was just, like, I don't know. Well, that's because What's-Her-Face was there, too. And What's-Her-Face, everybody was like, can I touch you? I just want to touch you. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Remedios the Beauty. Uh, My favorite. Remedios the Beauty. (laughs) I love her. I just, I just, I just want to look at you. You're gonna die, and you're stupid. Can I just look at you more? Oh man. Well, I guess if can you we want talk to, about that? Can left. we talk about our favorite parts? Because that is my favorite that, part. That is one of the p- talking points. So yes, we can talk about that. Because <laughs> that is my favorite part. So 
the Medios, the beauty is the like the most beautiful woman in town, and she's so beautiful that like people literally just stop and stare at her, and they just want to be near her and touch her. And her whole reaction is just to ignore it because in her mind this is so unimportant and this is just so not a concern. She's like, this is not a thing. Why are you guys still there? And she just ignores everybody and everybody just assumes, oh, because she's ignoring everybody and she doesn't care about getting married and she doesn't care that she's the most beautiful girl in town. Everybody just assumes that she must be dumb or disabled. Simple, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she's just like, no, I really just don't care to the point that people are dying around her because they just want to look at her. And she's like, you know, if you stand on that roof there, it's very weak. (laughs) You're going to fall and you're going to kill yourself. You should probably move to the left if you're going to stare at me while I shower. And nobody (laughs) listens to her and they die. And then people just rather than say, oh, man, these men are making stupid choices. They're like, she's cursed. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Because it's always the woman's fault. Of course. Always. The woman's <laughs> I fault. think it's hilarious. I, I just love how she's like, I don't want to marry any of these people because instead of doing work and bettering themselves and bettering the community, they're looking at me, which is mm-hmm. just, she just finds it so right. distasteful. She's it's like, so, they're so useless. And meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile she like walks around naked in the house, like, la, 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 la. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't decide if she's the sanest person or just you know, a different type of crazy. The author tells her the sanest person in the house, which I think is fantastic because she's clearly just so sure of herself and so sure of the world around her. I was going to say, she seems truly happy. Yeah. You know? And I think that's because of that. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, d- you know, and I, while you guys are talking about them, like, you know, the, when he briefly talks about the women in the book, like I feel like that was the more interesting parts of the book in general. Yeah, agreed. Because I find myself, I found myself kind of tuning out <laughs> the parts <laughs> when talk about the men. It's like okay, I feel like I've heard this before, so I'm just gonna gloss over this part. <laughs> blah blah blah. Something happens. Blah blah blah. Someone gets angry. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Someone does something stupid, <laughs> and then they get killed. <laughs> <laughs> but then all of a sudden he like mentions Rebecca all of a sudden I'm like what what happened where was she I know what was she Talk doing all this time Rebecca, people <laughs> <laughs> you know Talk to like, me about any of the girls yeah so it's like they were really interested they were like a breath of fresh air you know through through all this like stupidity of men and not learning from history or you know from their family members and things like that the only thing yeah. the women pitfalled on was the incest thing. So that was not just the men. I mean, it starts with the men. Yeah, is it, yeah that's of the true. Time, <laughs> that. But they, you know, they also seem to have that issue. Yeah. 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 Well, nobody's I perfect. Mean, <laughs> to a certain extent, like, the time period is responsible for a lot of the weird relationships because the yeah. book starts in, like, the early 1800s or something like that. Mm-hmm. So an aunt and her adolescent nephew. But I was going to say to a certain extent. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of like weird relationships. And yeah, I was like, this is this is kind of icky, guys. 
Yeah, if there's I at least two cases of straight up pedophilia, and yes. that's like a problem. Yes, no, it's, <laughs> where it, that yeah. guy marries the nine year old girl, and well, no, she's fourteen when they're married. Yeah, he, he falls, falls in, in love, love with, with her. her. No, he, he falls in love. He's yeah. a pedophile then because he falls in love with a nine year old. Yeah, you know. And this is where I said, you know, time. And he doesn't have any twilight. It. Like he doesn't have any like twilight. This is my blood calling me bullshit. To, oh to, my to gosh! Fall back on. I totally thought that. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god! Did he, did he totally imprint on her?" <laughs> he did imprint on her. <laughs> this is um, not cool, guys. <laughs> didn't we learn the first time? Didn't we learn? Well, that was like, the thing. Oh is I was god. like, "Okay, this is the 1800s. I could buy the." Except you fell in love with her. If you hadn't fallen in love with her, if you'd just been like, I want to marry her because her family is powerful, I would have been like, all right. Sure. If it was but you fell in love with her and she has five alliances. older sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the dad even says that. Like, we have older girls in our family. <laughs> They're already <laughs> old enough to be married. So uh-huh. they can have sex with you right now. Yeah. Then- the thing about it is, <laughs> I also don't know, and I was thinking about this, we don't actually know his exact age. We just know that he's already adult-ish. An adult in that time period, in that culture, could be, like, 18, which is less weird in an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old. But well, no. I mean, he, when he falls in yeah. love with her, he's an adult. Yeah. So he's 18 so, when she's 9. Yeah. And this is best-case scenario. I, yeah, I was going to say, and this is best-case scenario, because then, you know, ad- again, 14, adult, if he had 22. maybe... If he had fallen in love with her as an older teen, that's still weird but it's more understandable because mm-hmm. he's still very young himself but no, it's the impression is kind of like he's an adult adult children yes. under puberty age are not sexual like like and it's not like they it's I not like he but felt- he could have been just past puberty age to be considered an adult so he could have been uh, like 14 yeah. falling in love with oh, a nine-year-old which is okay. weird but you know uh, yeah but that's not Given how long he was in the story, that's not yeah, really I was probable. Thinking, like, that's what I'm saying. It's, that's not the implication. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, that, that part I did not like. Yeah, yeah, no. That's just not cool. It made me cringe. I think yeah, the whole time he was, like, courting her, I was just cringing the whole time. Oh, and they were preparing her for she's marriage. She's, like, playing you know? with dolls and putting ribbons yeah, on her hair. And, like, like, she's a child. They're telling her, like, how to do household stuff oh and how to run a household and, like, what goes uh, on. And I'm like, oh, so, my God. The so whole sad. section was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just so freaking weird. But then again, we find out later that he just doesn't love anybody anyway. So it's maybe. It's worse. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he wasn't really in love with her. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a weird decision on his part. I don't. You think know. he's pulling of the miniaturist? I don't <laughs> think he's pulling of the miniaturist. Oh no, I don't think he was doing that. No, I. No, that wasn't what I was getting at at all. I was just saying, like, yeah, maybe no. he wasn't in love with her. There was just something else he was trying to get, but I can't think of anything else that he'd be trying to get from that situation. So, let's go we'll with he fell know. in love and it was icky. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, guys. Well, with all that discussion, I felt like we were going back and forth. But overall, did you like it? I really did. I didn't think I was going to, but I ended up being kind of pulled into it. So I liked it. Oh, I gave good. it three stars. Same. It was fine. I did too. <laughs> it has good stuff about it. 
It is stuff I'd rather throw in the trash. It it's the pacing is off, like I said, for me, but I I get the value of it. So Mm. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I gave it three stars on Goodreads. I was like, I liked it. It was an interesting read, especially because the writing was so good. Um, but just in general, I was like, eh, it's alright. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I think it's you know, I think we've talked about you know, I don't enjoy generational novels either, but. If there's one I'm going to enjoy, it's the one that's, like, ridiculous and magical and well-written. So <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the three stars. And I there's do some like points it. where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I yeah. cannot believe this happened. And then, like, oh, God, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. <laughs> you the, know? Gilead, the Gilead was also written beautifully, but I got two stars. Yeah. Cause well, that I one was also not in. I don't care. This one, at least, I care sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, this one, this one was fun in its own ways. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, for next month, um, it sounds like we're going to have a mixed reviewed book again. Uh oh. Um, the Gollum and the Ginny <laughs> by Helene Wecker. Wait, why do you think we're going to mix reviews on this? Has anyone even started it? No, no, no. That's why I'm saying my first impression because uh-huh. um, I was kind of on the fence about reading this. It's like, it's all about magic. It sounds so cool, but it just didn't grip me. So. Um, I think it's cool. I like, th- well, well, I'm yeah, I know. And the others are like, oh, this seems really interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what we think after we read it. I like the idea of a Jewish mysticism animal and a like <laughs> Arabic mysticism that, you know, I, I like the idea of these like two worlds combining and working together. I think that's a cool concept. Um, it's a lot to live up to. It seems like a really big yeah. concept, but, um, yep. I mean, the reviews on Goodreads are mostly very positive, so I'm looking forward to it. They are, but you never know. Because, I, I mean, look at 100 Years of Solitude and its reviews. <laughs> True. But yeah. classics are, are often like that. Um, speaking of 100 Years of Solitude, if you are interested in any of the things we talked about today, um, either in our general book reads, what we're reading, or during our main read, Go ahead and check out our show notes on sunriserobot.net slash eclectic readers eight, because this is the eighth episode. Um, why don't we talk about where we can, where everyone can find us? Uh, Susan? Uh, well, people can find me on Goodreads, uh, Sue Lyons, or on the Eclectic Readers group page on Goodreads. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Ruri Kaicho. That's R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U. And Google Plus, I am Susan Lyons. Jeanette? You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. That's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. There's also a link on our Sunrise Robot page. Um, and you can find me on Goodreads, on our Goodreads uh, page, or at goodreads.com slash Rivera. Um, that's probably where I'm most active, so find me there on Goodreads because I log on all the time and I just want to talk about books all the time, especially when I can't read them, like now. <laughs> <laughs> We're all super active on Goodreads, and our Goodreads group in general is super active, so please come find us at Eclectic Readers um, at Goodreads and interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Um, I actually got my name, which is pretty sweet, but at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. 
And a special thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Longa, um, who are our Patreon supporters. If you want to support us, which would be great, uh, please go ahead and go to sunriserobot.net slash support. Um, and don't forget to, sub- to subscribe um, in your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. And please, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. Um we have think- only one lonely review on iTunes, guys. So that's come on, so sad. Yes, yeah, yeah, so so so. <laughs> we know you're listening. Just, yeah. just say if we're terrible or if we're good. Better if it's good. Yeah, I was gonna but say, it's okay say if it's, it's terrible. <laughs> we understand, but we appreciate um, feedback. We always do. We, do we appreciate, appreciate all it. feedback. And if you want to give us specific feedback, like we said, Goodreads, we have specific um, podcast uh, feedback note Threads. areas. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Um, but I think that's it, guys. So let's shelve this until next month. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.